slides it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman, blocked by Polak and Rice! Another spectacular stop! Broussard tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Marcel with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Lots to talk about today. We're going to take a a little look at the Islanders' defense and how it's been doing in the week since Adam Pellick's season-ending injury. So lots to talk about because it's going to be a key. And I guess the question becomes also, as we get closer to the trade deadline, what exactly does Lou Lamarillo have to do to get the Islanders uh, to be true Stanley Cup contenders? Or are they there now? That's uh, a question we're going to discuss. We will also take a look back at this date in Islanders history as we look at a battle between the Islanders and the Rangers at Madison Square Garden from 13 years ago. Hard to believe that much time has elapsed since that game was played, but an exciting contest at MSG that we're going to take a look back at. Lots to talk about, but first, if you have a question or a comment, something you want us to discuss on the air, you could send an email to the show. The email address, as always, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. And uh, if you leave your name and where you're from, Uh, We will be happy to mention you on the air, talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Uh, So we highly encourage people to write in with their questions, comments, or suggestions. Also, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles, and you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI, and we will keep you up to date, as always, on all things New York Islanders. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to uh, give us a five-star rating and leave a comment uh, on your podcatcher of choice. That definitely helps other Islander fans and hockey fans find the podcast, and it's always a great thing when we are able to expand our listening audience and grow the Locked On Islanders family. All right, so the Islanders are in an interesting position right now. And I I think it's important that this team is sort of at a crossroads. Uh, We're at the halfway mark of the season. And I wanted to discuss, you know, some awards and and, uh, things of that nature in addition to the other things we talked about. But let's start off discussing the defensive situation. Obviously... A big loss for the Islanders uh, when Adam Pellick went down. 38 games, one goal, nine assists, uh, eight assists, nine points, a plus four. Doesn't sound like, oh, you know, that's that big a loss. But Pellick is on the penalty kill all the time. He is also on the top defensive pairing with Ryan Pulak. So 
all of a sudden, all of your pairs are disruptive. And Barry Trotz indicated, hey, we are going to do a lot of switching around with our defensive pairs. And they have done that to a large extent over the last four games uh, or so. And, you know, this is a situation where in the last four games they've split. But the Islanders haven't given up as many goals recently. Gave up two goals to the Devils, three goals to Toronto, although one of those was an empty netter. Didn't give up any goals in the win over Colorado, then gave up three to the New Jersey Devils on uh, Tuesday night. So overall, the defense, the team defense in the last four games hasn't been so bad. You're talking about four uh, you're talking about seven goals in four games plus an empty netter. Uh, so overall team defense, not terrible. But then the question becomes, you know, what are the pairings going to be? And Nick Letty and Ryan Pulak have been an important pairing uh, over the last few games. And I think it makes sense Uh Letty has experience. He is steady. He can play a strong game in all three zones. And look, maybe except for the power play, he will be a little bit more conservative on the ice. But Letty uh, led all defensemen in ice time with 25-58 in the game against New Jersey. Ryan Pulak was second at 24-12. Then Devon Tays at 24.08, Scotty Mayfield at 20.52, and then Boychuk, Johnny Boychuk, 14.48, and then Noah Dobson, 14.11. Now, the 14.11 is actually a pretty high number for Dobson. He's usually closer to 11 or 12 minutes in a game. Now, this game went to overtime, so that'll add a little bit. But I think over the long haul, Dobson is going to be the key for the Islanders. And look, they wanted to bring him along a little bit slower than this, and now they don't have a choice. Noah Dobson is going to be on the ice almost every game, and he is going to have to learn, you know, what he can do in the NHL and get away with, rather than, you know, look, there are certain plays you can make, either with the puck or without the puck, in juniors or in the minors, that because of the size and the speed of players in the NHL, you're not going to be able to make uh, when you're playing with men. And Dobson is going to learn that, and he's going to make adjustments. Yes, he is going to have moments where he makes his share of rookie mistakes, and I'm sure we're going to see them. But at the same time, uh, the key for the Islanders is going to be Bringing him along gradually, I think we'll see his minutes increase, and I think we'll see, if all goes well, Dobson's confidence will gradually increase, and Barry Trotz's confidence in Noah Dobson, and his teammates' confidence in Noah Dobson will also increase, and that will be important for the New York Islanders as we go forward. The fact of the matter is, If Dobson is not equal to the task, if all of a sudden the team's defense suffers because of the rookie's uh, presence, because they are relying too much on him, asking him to do more than he's really ready to do, 
that creates a bigger problem for the Islanders. And I think it's a real possibility that the Islanders at the trade deadline will want to bring in a veteran defenseman to try to bolster this defense core because the depth right now is kind of thin. Uh, yes, Sebastian Ajo is available. He has been a, a, a healthy scratch the last few games. But yeah, he's got what, about 24 games of NHL experience and uh, may not be the answer at this point in time, although he probably will get his chance as well. All right, we have a lot more to talk about. We'll give the half-season awards uh, away and discuss who the Islanders' uh, most important players have been. We will also have this date in Islanders history and discuss some possible moves that Lou Lamorello might need to make as we get closer to the trade deadline. Lots more to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, so let's get to the half-season awards. Uh, I think some of these are pretty straightforward, but let's go over them anyway. Uh, If there is an MVP right now, I think overall... Uh, it would have to go to Matthew Barzal. Barzi, uh, top-line player, leading the team in goals, leading the team in assists. Uh, you know, very, very hard to uh, argue against him. He's tops, uh, he's third, rather, uh, on the team with a plus seven, plus minus rating, and uh, really has been doing a solid job overall. He is the spark that makes this inconsistent offense go, and I think got to give him credit as the MVP. Uh, Right now, other candidates for that award would have to include uh, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson to a lesser degree, and then uh, Simeon Varlamov for the outstanding goaltending that he has given the team. Although, again, Varlamov not claiming that first overall goaltending spot until, you know, five or six games ago when he seems to have taken over. So uh, I would go with Barzal as the MVP of the first half, Varlamov and Lee as the next two candidates. The defenseman of the first half, I'd have to go with Adam Pellick. Uh, a, a real minute muncher, a penalty killer, steady, smart with the puck, occasionally contributing offensively, uh, just a kind of guy who, again, I, I think the thing about Adam Pellick, and they will miss him in the second half, Pellick is the kind of player that doesn't make a lot of headlines, but if you watch him play on your team, game in and game out, you really get an appreciation for what he can do, and uh, I think that, you know, he really was... I wouldn't quite say the straw that stirs the drink to use that cliche, but he really was the glue of the Islanders' defense corps, and it's going to be a big adjustment for them now that he is out of the lineup. Meanwhile, uh, unsung hero for the Islanders in the first half, I'm going with Casey Sezikis. Uh, You know, bottom six forward, Nine goals in 37 games. He's missed five games, and the team felt his absence when he was out of the lineup. Uh, He is a plus 11, which leads the team. Kills penalties. uh, You know, can help out on the power play. Always hustling. 
you know, one thing you have to remember about Sezikis, he was the guy that Barry Trotz was praising for going all out and killing penalties uh, when the Islanders were getting blown out by the Nashville Predators. It was like an 8-3 to or 8-4 to game. You're killing a penalty with a minute and a half, two minutes left in the game, and there is Casey Sezikis throwing his body around, being aggressive on the PK, and just doing the little things that a lot of players don't do in those situations, leading by example. And I think, you know, that whole line, uh, Clutterbuck, uh, Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin also, uh, they play that way. But to me, out of those three, the MVP, the unsung hero uh, of the Islanders has to be Casey Sezikis. So that would be uh, my award there. As far as disappointments in the first half, and, you know, I don't like necessarily pointing fingers in that way, but to me, right now, Jordan Eberle uh, would headline the disappointments. And yes, he's been banged up, and that certainly does, uh, you know, explain some of his low statistical numbers, but 32 games, so he's he's missed 10, 32 games, but four goals, 18 points, a minus one plus minus rating. You got to get more out of Jordan Eberle. You bring in a guy like Jordan Eberle to be productive offensively, and no, he's not getting 30 goals necessarily uh, in the Barry Trotz conservative system. But at the same time, you know, he's on pace for like an 11-goal season, maybe a 10-goal season, and that's not acceptable either. Here's a guy who really should be in the 20 to 25-goal range for, for a complete year, and obviously right now he is nowhere near that. So underachiever of the first half to me goes to Jordan Eberle, and uh, hopefully Eberle can pick things up uh, in the second half. So those are our ratings with regard to that. Now, we talked a little bit about the possibility of bringing in a defenseman at the trade deadline. And there's two kinds of defensemen. You know, you may want to try to replace Adam Pellick, the steady, you know, leadership type guy, but the guy who is positionally sound, who can be counted on, and they may need to bring in a veteran uh, to, to sort of augment that role. But the other thing that the Islanders, I think, can use is a puck-moving defenseman who can quarterback the power play. They have a number of players uh, on defense, like Johnny Boychuk and, uh, you know, and Nick Letty, and, and, you know, they have a number of guys who have good shots from the point, hard shots from the point. But as far as a guy who can quarterback the power play, they don't need a star to do this. But I think they need to add somebody. Somebody, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, an all-star. It doesn't have to be a guy who is going to put up huge numbers. But, you know, give me another Mark Streit or a Stefan Pearson 
a, a guy who's reliable, who can distribute the puck, almost be a point guard and run that power play and make sure the puck is moving and and quarterback that power play. I think that in an ideal world would be something the Islanders want to and should look to add at the trade deadline. And then there's always the question of getting another goal scorer. And again, you don't need a 35-40 goal guy or even a 30 goal guy, but get me a reliable 20 to 25 goal scorer, someone who can contribute on the power play, somebody who, again, can help move the puck around, who can pass the puck well and shoot the puck well. You know, a second line, steady second line kind of a forward, a winger especially, would probably be a good addition for this team. Again, there's always the question of how much you have to give up to get that player, and that's something that I think Islander fans should at this point have enough trust in Lou Lamorello to know that he's not going to give up the store to make that addition, and if anything, Lamorello tends to be on the conservative side. But we will keep an eye on that as we get closer to the trade deadline, and we will, of course, be discussing that more and more. Still more to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. We have this date in Islanders history and more. Stay with us on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, it's time for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to January 9th, 2007. Islanders in Madison Square Garden to take on the rival Rangers. Islanders... 19-19-3 19-19-3 coming into this game, Rangers 22-17-4, but the Islanders were riding a six-game losing streak, so a little bit of nerves heading in to this game. Islanders had a power play early as Feder Tutin of the Rangers went off for hooking 56 seconds into the game, but the Islanders were unable to Uh, to cash in on that power play. But the Islanders did draw first blood. Five minutes, 31 seconds into the game. Miroslav Shatan, his 12th from Chris Campoli and Viktor Kozlov. And it was one to nothing for the visiting Islanders. But Alexei Yashin called for hooking less than a minute after the Shatan goal. And the Rangers go on the power play, and they are able to cash in. Martin Straka, his 23rd, beats Rick DiPietro. The assist to Michael Nylander and Yaramir Yager, and the game was tied at 1-1. The Rangers then took the lead at 10:25 of the opening period. Yaramir Yager, his 17th from Straka and Nylander, and it was 2-1 to one. Rangers. Looked like the Rangers were going to keep that lead heading into the locker room, but with a little more than a minute left in the period. Defensive defenseman Brandon Witt. Brendan Witt gets his first goal of the year, assists to Randy Robitaille and Sean Hill, and the Islanders tie the game 2-2 after 20 minutes. Now, in the second period, the Islanders got the only goal, Mike Sillinger, his 13th from Trent Hunter and Sean Hill at 626, and the Islanders were clinging to a 3-2 lead when the teams headed into the locker room 
for the second intermission. So, third period, obviously going to be a key. And believe it or not, the Islanders got into trouble. Last minute of the second period, Andy Hilbert called for holding. Rangers power play carries over into the second period. And just a few seconds before it expired, Brendan Shanahan, his 24th of the year on the power play from Yager and Straka, and the game was all even at three apiece. But that didn't last all that long. The Islanders get back with two quick goals. First, Viktor Kozlov, his 14th from Randy Robitaille and Miroslav Shatan. That came at 5.17. And then 27 seconds later, Mike Sillinger with his second goal of the game, his 14th of the year, unassisted, and it was 5-3 Islanders. But the Rangers had some late power play opportunities. Richard Park called for high sticking at 14-28. The Islanders able to kill that one off. Then, with two minutes and 14 seconds left in regulation, Sean Hill called for tripping, but again, the penalty kill comes up big for the Islanders, and Rick DiPietro made 28 saves in this game to earn the victory. Final score, 5-3 in favor of the Islanders. Henrik Lundqvist giving up five goals in 26 shots as the Islanders end their six-game winning streak and win their third game of that year at Madison Square Garden. That was the first time in Islanders history they had won three games at the Garden in one year. Sillinger with two goals and a number of other Islanders with multi-point games. Shatan, a goal and an assist. Robitaille, two helpers. Kozlov, a goal and an assist. Sean Hill with two assists. No Islander had more than three shots on goal in this game. Robitaille, Sillinger, and Hilbert, along with Jason Blake, each getting three shots on goal to pace the Islanders. And in the end, DiPietro coming up big, as I said, 28 saves to earn the win. And the Islanders, who came in with an air of desperation, happily escaped Madison Square Garden above 500 and put an end to their six-game losing streak 13 years ago today, January 9th, 2007. Islanders 5. Rangers 3. That's going to do it for us on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to preview this weekend's game against the Bruins. A big game, a tough game, as the Islanders put their two-game winning streak on the line against Boston. We will have a full preview of that, plus this date in Islanders history, and a whole lot more. So make sure you join us tomorrow and every Monday through Friday For all the latest Islanders news and analysis here on the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.